Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. strange, unexplained disappearances in the wilderness and odd deaths. The Fresno Bee on August the 8th, 2007 wrote, Search halts for missing woman in Yosemite. No sign of 80-year-old hiker found after eight days scouring the park. After looking for eight days, searchers withdrew. For the 80-year-old but very fit and very experienced hiker, Ottavina Bonaventura had disappeared after getting separated from her hiking party. When her family and friends had first heard of her disappearance, they'd not been immediately too distressed. They described her as a fitness fanatic who loved a challenge. And just a year earlier, she'd ridden a bike across Iowa, a task that took an entire week. Her daughter Pam Cernovich told reporters, She pushes herself like crazy. She's competitive with herself. Growing up, she was described as a bit of a tomboy. She used to climb mountains, said her daughter. In fact, she travelled internationally to climb in Peru, the Swiss Alps and Patagonia. She was a retired computer programmer, and she was not known to be unwell nor on any medication. Although some newspapers claimed she suffered from memory loss, this has since been clarified. Her memory was the same as any 80-year-old, no worse. On learning of her stamina and fitness and strong character, the park ranger search for her had been expanded geographically. Adrian Freeman, spokesman for the National Park, said, Clearly, this person breaks all expectations of age and physical condition. The more we learned about her, the more respectful we became of her abilities. In fact, they expanded their search to 100 square miles as a result. Far from fearing the worst, as they began their search, they quickly changed this expectation to one of hopefulness. However, eight days after searching, with no signs of her and no clues about where she could be, they were seriously worried, and their hopes were now fading fast. The missing woman had hiked alone down a trail near Volskang High Camp and never returned. Over 150 searchers had been joined by helicopters combing the forests, fields and lakes and the rivers. 
Park's spokesperson, Freeman, said that while the inclination for most lost hikers might be to remain close to where they'd got lost, a determined woman such as Bonventura would probably have pushed on had she become lost. She was last seen on July the 30th, when she left her hiking group near Emmerich Lake, saying that she was going to return to her tent at Wolfgang High Sierra Camp to check on the food storage. This was about seven miles southeast of Tolum Meadows. Park officials were hoping to interview anyone who'd been issued with a wilderness permit in the hope that they might have caught sight of her, as they were desperate for any leads or clues about where she might be. Spokesperson Freeman said individuals had come from throughout the state to join in the search effort, which involved helicopters and search dogs. On Tuesday, August the 14th, 15 days later, the body of missing Otterina Bonaventura was found in the Echo Creek drainage, an area described as a rugged wilderness area southwest of Tulum Meadows. Officials announced they had found her deceased in this remote spot after being missing for more than two weeks. A park ranger, who was described as being on a routine patrol as opposed to the official search, which had by then been called off, found her body at around 5pm that afternoon in a vegetated area beside a dry creek bed near Echo Creek, just three miles from her campground by air said spokesperson Adrian Freeman, but in a spot that is unreachable via established trails. She said it's just such a huge, rugged area and searching is very difficult out there. She said that the coroner's office would determine cause of death, but that the park service did not believe there was any foul play. Well, despite her fitness and determined nature, one has to ask... How could she end up in a spot unreachable via trails? And why? Close by, a girl by the name of Stacy Arias also disappeared. In searching archive files from the National Park Service from 1981, I found that they describe what happened. They say, last seen, she was wearing a white windbreaker, light-coloured short-sleeve blouse, shorts, grey hiking boots, size 8 or 9, gold ankle bracelet, 5 foot 5 inches tall, and 120 pounds. Poster that the Park Service created. It highlights her vulnerability. They say, with her blonde hair combed forward, she looks 16 years old. When her hair is pulled back in a ponytail, she looks 12. When last seen, she was wearing an off-white pullover windbreaker with a horizontal zipper, front pouch above the breast line and a hood that hangs down the back or tucks inside, wearing upper and lower narrow teeth retainers. It continues, she may be carrying a small Olympus camera with an embroidered neck strap, multicoloured, predominantly black, she may also be carrying cigarettes and gum. Well, Stace was on a horse-riding trip with her father, George, and seven others, 
in the Sunrise Meadows area of Yosemite National Park in California. It was July 17, 1981. After they'd been riding for a few hours, the group stopped at cabins at the Sunrise High Sierra Camp, a small site with eight other cabins and located approximately one and a half miles from Sunrise Lakes. It's the last camp before the end of the High Sierra Loop. Here, they climbed off the horses and were going to have some refreshments and then stay there for the night. The cabins overlooked a meadow. After refreshments and a change of clothes, Stacy set off with her camera to take photos of the lake. She was never seen again. She'd apparently asked her dad if he wanted to go with her, but he declined, and instead, a 72-year-old man who was travelling with them accompanied her. They walked off together, but after a short while, the man became tired, and so he sat down to take a rest, while Stacy continued on to the lake. The others back at the cabin had watched the pair as they set off, and they later recalled that they saw the elderly man sit down to take a rest. The group said they continued to watch Stacy walking down the hill herself, until she disappeared from view as a couple of trees blocked their sight of her. She remained out of sight after that. It was natural she would disappear from their view due to the landscape now coming between them. There are conflicting reports. The Fresno Bee says the man was 77 and he walked with Stacy for at least 20 minutes away from the camp before stopping, a further distance than the reports say. Regardless, the elderly man sat and waited for some time for her to return from the lake. And when she didn't, he started to grow a little concerned, and he returned to the camp to ask the rest of the group to go with him to bring her back to camp. Among the trees she'd walked into, they discovered the lens cap of her camera. In the trees and at the lake, there was no sign of Stacy, however. She did not return to camp that evening, said National Park Service spokeswoman Sharon Johnson at the time. Over the next few days, Hundreds of searchers, including the National Guard, scoured the area between the camp and the lake. But no clues were found about where she could be. Eight members of CLMRP, which is the China Lake Mountain Rescue Group, joined the search on July the 23rd at the base camp run by park ranger Durr and joint operation leader Minor Harkness of Sierra Madre. Not a shred of evidence of Stacy was discovered, they wrote in their report. Then the McLatchley News Service said, The search for Stacy Arias, who disappeared in the Yosemite High County 11 days ago, has been called off. The Saratoga teenager just seems to have disappeared, said the superintendent of the National Park Service, Robert O'Binuiz. 
volunteers and rangers had logged thousands of hours searching for her. Her disappearance became a mystery. Some people felt the teenage girl may have taken a walk, and that unless she did walk off intentionally, hopes of finding her alive now were slim. Park spokeswoman Linda Abbott said the girl's last talk with her father was over footwear. She was wearing thongs until her father told her she should be wearing hiking boots if she planned to walk to the lake. If she had planned on walking off, she wouldn't have gone off in thongs," said the park spokeswoman. The McLatchley News said. The lack of the usual thunderstorm may have hampered the search, according to park rangers, because dog teams were brought in to the area, but they were unable to pick up any scent because of the dry and dusty conditions. We're looking again in the National Park Service archives. Chief Ranger Charles W. Wen's report of twenty-third July, nineteen eighty-one, states: the air operations for the Stacey search. Began in earnest on Saturday, July the eighteenth. There is also a letter sent from the superintendent of the NPS to Dave McCoy of the Mammoth Mountain Ski Area Resort, thanking his organisation for help in the search efforts. He writes, although the search was unsuccessful and not a single clue found, we feel that Stacy had the best possible chance due to the professional efforts. Of organisations such as yours, it appears the National Park Service superintendent also sent similar letters to, among others, Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit of California, Malibu Search and Rescue, Air National Guard, Scott Air Force Base of Illinois. Clearly, then, the search for Stacy was incredibly thorough. San Jose Search and Rescue, dressed in orange jumpsuits, scaled down ravines on climbing ropes and searched drainage creeks for spots where a body could be laying hidden. Park officials said it was possible the girl had hiked to a road and left the park. Park spokeswoman Linda Abbott says, "I can tell you that nothing was turned up." According to the Mariposa Gazette. The seventy-seven-year-old man who had accompanied Stacy and then stopped to sit down while she continued, told National Park officials that he had spoken to a group of people coming from the direction that Stacy had taken, but that they had not seen the girl. It seems that Stacy disappeared among the trees in an area very popular with hikers. Only her camera lens cap was found. How could she simply vanish like this? The spot in which she disappeared is very close to a highway that runs parallel, a distance of a kilometer away. Searchers found no signs of any struggle, no signs of violence, just the lens cap of her camera. Did one of the other hikers in the area come across this teenage girl, who the MPS missing posters described as sometimes looking 
like a vulnerable eleven-year-old. Did they snatch her fast without being seen? I managed to get her to the highway before anyone saw them. Although that would have required not being seen for a kilometre. In a very popular spot. Or was she hidden in a tent nearby? And yet surely this would have been very hard to do successfully in an area so popular with visitors. Had the serial killer Carl Stainer found her easy prey? He'd been known to visit Yosemite and had indeed abducted and killed several women in Yosemite National Park. After four brutal murders, a number of false leads and a growing sense of panic in one of California's most celebrated beauty spots, police and federal agents are at last confident that they have cracked the case of a serial killer stalking the state's Yosemite National Park wrote the newspaper The Independent, when Carl Stainer was eventually caught. In 1999, a serial killer was roaming Yosemite National Park in California's Sierra Nevada mountains. It began when a letter was sent to the police along with a hand-drawn map. The letter said, We had fun with this one. The map indicated a location where a body had been dumped. The police went to the location on the homemade map and there they found a body. It was a young woman. Her throat had been slashed so savagely that her head was severed. Her killer took her head with him. He later confessed that he was intending to keep it as a trophy but then decided to throw it into a pool of water. The killer's name was Carl Stainer, and his own brother had once been abducted and held for years by a child predator. Stainer was employed by the National Park Service. His victim, Julie Sund, had gone missing in the National Park. Search and Rescue had looked extensively for her with dogs. The FBI were called in when her purse was found in Modesto. She'd been abducted from outside of her cabin and she was at least his fourth victim. Park Ranger Joe Smith in the National Park Service Division of Law Enforcement in Washington, D.C. told the Sun Sentinel in 1994 Our visitors leave the urban areas thinking they are getting away from it all. But they're being followed into the parks by professional criminals. In fact, between 1988 and 92, the Park Service reported 104 homicides, 393 rapes, in its 365 parks. During 2006, 11 deaths were investigated across the system. Two involved women who'd been pushed off cliffs. One at Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore on the southern shore of Lake Superior and the other a Golden Gate National Recreation Area. Akala National Forest was where hitchhiker, prostitute and serial killer Eileen Warnos disposed of one victim's body. And this was six miles from there, where honours student John Timothy Edwards was murdered and his 21-year-old sister raped and tied to a tree. But can serial killers be blamed? 
for the many hundreds of people who have disappeared and continue to disappear in wilderness areas in the blink of an eye. Sweetgrass County Sheriff Lieutenant Ronenberg said, During the search for missing hunter Aaron Hedges, all theories have been thought up, everything from he got turned around off the trail, passed away from hypothermia, to he's in Mexico somewhere, to UFOs got him. Calling it a riddle that may never be solved, Sheriff's Lieutenant Alan Roenberg said, All the interviews have been done and there are no new leads. He'd been involved in the original 12-day search for the missing hunter. All of the theories have been thought up and been pursued. Corporal Greg Todd, who heads up the Park County Search and Rescue, also said he was unable to draw any firm conclusions. It's the million-dollar mystery we have right now. We just have so many unanswered questions. And it really just doesn't give us much of a direction. Then, almost a year later, the missing hunter's body was found in a location that was baffling to all involved. 38-year-old Aaron Hedges had set out with two friends, Greg Leitner of Idaho and Joe Depew of Bozeman, to go hunting in the crazy mountains of Montana on September the 7th, 2014. They set out from Cottonwood Lake Trailhead. His two friends had their rifles, but Aaron preferred to hunt by bow and arrow. The last time Aaron was heard from, he'd radioed his two friends on the walkie-talkie to tell them he'd missed the turn-off back to camp. He'd been hunting separately from them, as was his practice with his bow and arrow. Earlier in the day, when they'd all been together, the horse carrying their equipment and provisions had bucked, sending Aaron's sleeping bag flying and rendering it irretrievable. After this, his plan had been to head to the old camp they'd set up the previous year, near Sunlight Lake, and he would collect an old sleeping bag there and then return to his friends at their camp. But Aaron never made it back to camp. His friends never saw him again. It was two days before he was reported missing. There was no phone cell coverage where the two friends were and they said they'd search for him themselves. It was his wife who called the police four days later when she discovered he was missing. While aspersion could perhaps be cast on his friends, the police, once they became involved in searching for Aaron, ruled them out as having any involvement in his disappearance. His friends hadn't been overly concerned when he hadn't shown up at their camp. After all, they knew him as an experienced hunter. As soon as searchers arrived to start looking for him, bad weather set in. And soon there was two feet of snow. The weather made searching overhead by air practically impossible, and horseback searchers struggled with visibility and inhospitable terrain. The search was focused on the Cottonwood Lake Trail, with teams of dogs and search and rescue ground crews, along with a National Guard. Night vision was used and spotlights. Near Trespass Creek, 
A search crew came across a woodpile and fire starters, a camel black bladder with the thin tube removed, leading searchers to think that the person had attempted to locate a fresh water source to drink from, and a pair of boots, which were identified as Aaron's. There was two feet of snow on the ground by now. Why would he remove his boots? If hypothermia had set in, Aaron may have succumbed to the syndrome of paradoxical undressing, where the body becomes so cold that the person begins to feel extremely hot, and as the cold addles the brain and confusion sets in, the person can find themselves rushing to strip off their clothes, thinking that they're boiling hot. If this had been the case for Aaron, then where was he now? How could he have possibly walked very far without his boots in two feet of snow? He would surely have died from hypothermia close by and easily have been found sadly dead. His body should have been found nearby, surely. Unless he had another pair of boots with him. And yet, as will be revealed later, this doesn't seem to have been the case. There's no suggestion that he had any alternative footwear to change into when he took off his boots. The searchers found it very strange that they didn't find a body close by as they continued to search the area. Eleven months later, on August the 6th, 2015, a butcher from Wyoming called Roger Bislanowicz was waiting for his son-in-law to finish a job fixing a fence at the Rhine Anchor Ranch in Sweet Grass County. And while waiting, he'd wandered off to check out the stunning scenery on a ridge. Cutting back through a tree-culling area, he noticed something bright orange on the ground. And as he got closer, he saw that it was a hunting vest. Beside it, he found a backpack and some clothes, a bow and granola wrappers. He said, my first thought when I saw the clothes piled up against a tree, I just knew there was going to be a body. The backpack was sitting against a tree, the clothes against another tree. The witness said, there's bear activity where they flip over the rocks to eat the bugs underneath and I just knew there was going to be a body there, but there wasn't. There was a vest, socks, shirts and sweatpants. The backpack had holes in it where predators had eaten into it, so it could be assumed that the wrappers from the granola bars had also been ferreted by the animals. I gathered it all up, the man said. When I was just about done, I saw a piece of paper and it was a partial licence and it had his name on it. The man returned to the ranch, which was owned by his daughter and son-in-law, and called the police. Aaron Hedges' partial skeleton remains were soon located within a small radius of where his vest and backpack had been found. His skeleton had been spread due to scavenging everything from weather ants to bears, said Deputy Sheriff Alan Romberg. Are we able to tell what the man died of? Probably not, said Sweetgrass County Sheriff Dan Trenard. There's no bullet holes. The pathologists will look to see if there's knife wounds on the bones or hatchet marks, 
but I'm going to guess it's going to go down as one of those mysteries. If he had made it that far, the tragic thing is that the ranch was in eyeshot. He could have seen it from where he was found. The ranch owner, Rebecca Ryan, said he could have seen the house. But how had he got there in the first place? The newspapers said search efforts for Aaron Hedges last fall had been carried out on the Livingston side of the mountain. Beslanowicz's discovery of the backpack and the granola wrappings and some clothes was on the opposite side of the mountain. And this is where the mystery truly lies. Aaron Hedges had shed his boots near Trespass Creek. It's quite possible hypothermia was setting in. How could he have got to where he was found, an estimated 14 to 15 miles as the crow flies, without boots in a storm and two feet of snow? The area where his skeletal remains were found was on the other side of the low mountain. Sweetgrass County Sheriff Dan Tronwood said, it's a totally different area than where we were looking. He put the estimate as at least four miles away from where Hedges had been reported missing. Tronwood said Hedges went into the mountains on the Park County side and must have come out on the Sweetgrass County side. He said that's a lot of distance to cover. When Aaron had disappeared, Park County Sheriff Scott Hamilton had said, by the time we were notified the weather had hit, we're dealing with two feet of snow and it was snowing hard. We deployed a horse team, they made it as far as they could, maybe even further than they should have, and came back out. It was tough, it was very cold, and it was snowing hard. Deputy Sheriff Ronenberg said, it was big, heavy flakes. It was really coming down. According to Billing Gazette, Hedges' remains were found about 15 miles from where he was last seen and about six miles from where his boots were found. Officials speculate he must have had another pair of shoes because the rocks were very sharp where Hedges' boots were found, the Sheriff Ronenberg said. But no boots were found where his skeleton, backpack, vest and clothes were found. What happened to Aaron Hedges? Did he set off fast before the weather set in, barefoot? Or did something else transport him to the spot where he was found dead, on the other side of the low mountain, several miles away, barefoot?
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.